morning, everyone. Thank you for that uh, warm welcome. I really appreciate that. It is technically my last, uh, my first day, not my last day, first day, uh, as New South Church Planting Associate Pastor, and uh, I've definitely been feeling like uh, I've been doing that for a little while, and so excited to be with you all and share um, a word with you all for uh, this, on this Labor Day weekend. You know, if you've been with us for this past summer, we've been going through the book of Exodus, uh, the book of Exodus, and we just finished that last week. And in two weeks, we'll be going through the book of Romans, uh, uh, a very, uh, I think, the entire uh, school season, or maybe even longer than that, throughout the uh, next two weeks, or next two weeks, we're going to go over that. Um, but before that, these upcoming weeks, this week and then next week, we're going to do a couple of, of vision casting sermons. And today, I'm going to be talking about biblical, about biblical community, <clears throat> excuse me, and about small groups. And then next week, Rafe will be talking about um, the local vision for the South Loop uh, location here. And so uh, to do that, I'm going to be in Acts 2. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 2. We'll be in verse 41 through 47 here. If it's the House Bibles, if you need one, there's one in the back. Uh, House Bibles should be around page 911. So again, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Let me read. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Let me just pray again. God, we want to thank you for your word uh, and this model of what true community looks like, true fellowship looks like. And God, as we talk about community, about small groups today, God, and as we God, desire to be more like you. I pray that you may just speak into our hearts, God. I pray that whatever I say, it may be what you want us to hear, and any words that are just of me may just be forgotten. But God, I pray also that our hearts may be good soil, that your word may take root and may live in us so that we can take action as we walk out of these seats uh, for the rest of our week. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This week... On Thursday night, football finally gets started. Some of you are excited. Okay, I see some of you are excited about it. I know college football started this past weekend, but the NFL starts next week. And it starts actually with the Chicago Bears playing the Green Bay Packers on Thursday night. For me, I absolutely love football. I don't know if you can tell by my physique here, but I used to play uh, four years of football in high school, okay? I'm a little short. I was a little, you know, bigger and more muscular then, definitely. Uh, to prove it, I have a picture up there, as you can see. I'm number 44, okay? And so just to prove you doubters, I, I play football, okay? And so uh, football was an amazing experience for me. Uh, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, but everything that we did as a football player, as a football team, we had one mission, like any other sport, was to win, was to be the best team. And so on our last game, when our season was over for football, my very first season, I thought the season was over, great, I'm going to give my equipment to my coach and we're going to just go and do, do whatever else. But instead of just him taking the equipment, 
he gave me something in return, and it was labeled Winter Workout Program. And I'm like, what? I thought football ends in the fall, and then we just go and play a different sport. So he's like, no, winter training starts now. And so we went. We did workouts. We went to the weight room so we can get stronger. We did speed indoor training so we can get faster. Then we would go into the film room, watch previous games so that we can get better for the next year. And then when the weather got warmer, they took our practice and training outside. And we would do scrimmages and practices with other uh, high school teams. And then as the school year ended, real football practice began in the summer. And what we called back then, I think they still do it today, called two-a-days, which would be one practice in the morning and one practice in the evening. And I lived in Missouri, and it was just so hot. It was 90-degree weather, but I had helmets on, pads on. It was exhausting. And then in between all those practices and trainings, as teammates, we would hang out in between those times. We would get lunch together. We would go to each other's homes, play Xbox together, spend time in the hallways. And it was just a great opportunity. You know, I didn't know what I was getting myself into when I signed up to play football. But at the end of those four years, I ended up loving it. Because that one mission as a football team to win that allowed us as teammates to be devoted together. So during game time on Friday Night Lights, we knew that in order to win that game, we needed to rely on each other and play together. You know, as our coach would always say, day after day, and I still remember it, you play not for the name on the back of your jersey, which is what your name, what your personal name would say, but you play for the name on the front of your jersey, which would be the team name. And our mission was to go out and win for that team. Some of you may know exactly what I'm talking about. You may have played sports in high school or in college. But perhaps others of you, sport wasn't just for you. Maybe it was an overseas mission trip team where you spent the entire summer on serving the needy together. Maybe it was a demanding project at work that you and your coworkers worked day and night to complete together. Or maybe, just maybe, it was that near impossible task of putting an infant down after countless sleepless nights that you and your spouse did together. Church, when the mission is great, it requires us to do it together. Let me just say that again. When the mission is great, it requires us to do it together. You know, at Park Community Church, our mission is indeed great. As you see behind me, it's to know God and make him known. This mission is straight from scripture, but it's also a mission that we can't do on our own. Can, can you truly know God and his word, all of it, without any resource, any book, any person to help you with that? Or can you truly make Jesus known to all 7 billion people by yourself, let alone the 2 million who live here in Chicago? Of course not. This mission is meant to be done together. We need each other. We need a biblical community. And at Park, the main avenue, or one of those main avenues in which we do biblical community, is in and through our small groups. Now, what's a small group? You'll see behind me, it's simply this. A small group is a biblical community that makes disciples of Christ. And if you see the graphic, there are three prongs or three circles here, which we do in primary ways to make disciples within our small groups. Number one, we are studying the word together. 
Number two, we are pursuing gospel community together. And number three, we are reaching the lost together. And for today, this will be my outline on how I go through the, book, uh, the, the passage in Acts. And so let's just dive right into it. Let's go to number one. Small groups must be studying the word of God together. Let's go back to our passage in Acts 2. And let me just read verse 41 again here. 41 says, So those who receive his, being Peter's, word, were baptized. And, they, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You know, our text today is the aftermath of Pentecost. After Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised came upon the disciples and baptized them in the Spirit. So Peter, who is now empowered by the Spirit, he gives this powerful and amazing sermon to the masses, which was so powerful that in verse 37, previously it says that the words he said literally cut to their hearts. And as a result, 3,000 people came to repent from their sins and be baptized and be saved. Can you imagine that for a second? 3,000 people coming, being new believers into part. What will we do first with these 3,000 new believers? So in verse 42 and verse 47, we see what Peter and the gang decide to prioritize for these new 3,000 Christians and what they, be, what they should be doing together. And in verse 42, the first thing we see is that they, were devote, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Now, you'll notice that apostle teaching doesn't really say scripture or the word of God here. Well, it's because during that time, all the teachings of Jesus were not written down yet. And this time, how they learned uh, Jesus' words and life and ministry was through the words of the apostles. It was passed down orally after one another. And so when the apostles were teaching the new believers, they would be teaching them about the life and ministry of Jesus, about his death and resurrection, how he was their Lord and Savior. But they would be also teaching on the Old Testament scriptures, the law, the prophets, the Psalms. And the early church, they would be devoted to this. This word devoted is such a powerful word here. And, I, I, and when we read this, we can't skip that over so easily. When you think of devoted, we think of people are, are people who are very committed to their task or their, tr their trade. Say, for example, an athlete like Michael Jordan, who was extremely devoted to basketball. Or musicians like Johnny Cash or Ray Charles, who are, again, extremely devoted to their task. Or like a chef like Gordon Ramsay. These people who had such intense focus and hours and perseverance would continue to do their actions that they committed to until they could master their task. That's devotion. So when we see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, we have to pause here and remember that this meant these new Christians were committed, were devoted to knowing the apostles' teaching, Jesus' ministry and way of life every single day. They spent, they spent their lives to, together to do this. They spent time and energy on this. Remember, for the early church, they could not access Jesus' teaching any other way. They couldn't pull up their phone or take out their Bible. They had to be in community. They couldn't access it alone, which is actually very different for us because we are so used to pulling out our Bibles or our phones and having just unlimited resources to look and read the Bible, commentaries, books, which are all good, but when we are so dependent on those things, we become, we kind of have a tendency to forget the privilege of studying and learning God's word together. 
You know, for the past few years, I've had the privilege of leading just various different small groups, some men, some just mixed groups. And when we have different people from all different backgrounds and experiences and even spiritual maturity levels, and though I've studied the Bible a lot of myself, went to school for four years, read a lot of books on the Bible, I can't tell you how many times I've learned and been ministered to by other people in my small group have been just saying different words and asking different questions within a small group Bible study. For example, you have perhaps Caleb over here who shares this insight on this passage and the people in the group are just so amazed about how he saw this within Scripture. Or maybe you have Grace over here who asked this question and everyone just is thinking about it. What, what is that question? How, is, how do we answer that in Scripture? Or maybe you have Sam who shares his testimony and talks about how Scripture has been so impactful on his life and transformation and how people in that group are just in awe by the transformation that's happening in his life. You know, it's like when all your friends talk about a movie that you saw a week ago by yourself, and by the end of that conversation with your friends, you learn more about what the movie meant than when you watched it initially by yourself. You know, God's word is so great, so deep, so magnificent and beautiful that when we study it and do it together, it can only come fully alive when we are studying it and diving into God's word together. The early church knew this, and they did this. But church, do we do this? Do we prioritize studying God's word in community together? Here at Park, studying the word of God is foundational to our small groups. And we want that to be a foundation. But just like in the early church, it doesn't stop at just studying the word. Our small groups are not just Bible study groups, though that's extremely foundational and important. But like the church in Acts, they do something else. In the second half of verse 42, if you look at it, it says that they were also devoted to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Which leads me to my second point, our second ways that, second, that small groups get after making disciples, which is pursuing gospel community together. When Luke, the writer of Acts, he uses the word fellowship here. And fellowship in the original language Greek, it's this word koinonia, which literally means to be united in an intimate relationship and partnership. This is actually the first time this word is used in the New Testament. In this Quinonia community, they did two things together. First, they were devoted to the breaking of bread, which, was, which most commentators suggest that actually points to the Lord's Supper, our communion. So in that time, they would have a physical fellowship meal together, and they would be in worship and praising God together within that community. And then secondly, they would also devote themselves to daily prayer together, to pray for God's will to be done, but then also to hear each other's stories and struggles and needs and to be praying for one another. The early church was devoted to eating, to worshiping and praying together because as people committed to the same mission of God, they deeply desired to actually know one another, to personally know one another. You see, for our small groups here, just as much as we are devoted to studying God's word and knowing God, we also know that it's a privilege to be in relationship with other believers. And that is what God has given to us. And not like a, a Facebook profile kind of level, but more like a, a battle-tested marine kind of level, where we are deeply rooted in each other's lives, where we will listen to, 
cry with and share life with one another, when we have struggles and pains, when we would laugh and celebrate the joys and blessings that we have together, when we remind each other of God's grace and mercy when we fail, when life gets too hard and it feels like it's beating us down, where we also challenge and rebuke one another when we see each other straying off course or living in sin, where we are accepted, where we are loved. Church, doesn't this community sound great to you? Don't you want that kind of community, that kind of relationship, a part of your lives? And isn't that what our society is just longing for? Society is longing to be known and to know others. But for us, we have the privilege of being in a biblical community because of Christ and through His Spirit. And then in verse 43 and 45, we see the results of this Koinonia community. It says, awe, literally reverence, came upon every soul, which is actually referring to those, yes, within the Christian community, but also to those outside the Christian community. As they saw this weird group of people loving each other, spending time together, they, they all came upon them because they did not expect people to live like this with one another. And then in verse 44, it says, those who believed were together, again, that Kononia language, and had all things in common. Again, as much as they were spiritually one together, they also, they also had physically, they were one together. And it really speaks to verse 45 here. And I believe that as we read verse 45, it's a, a, a verse that when we read a very common passage like this, that we kind of skim over because of what it asks us. And it says this, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. When we read this, we're like, does this mean that in order to be in a Koinonia community or fellowship that I have to sell everything and give to others? Not entirely, but I do believe that it speaks more than what we would like to believe. What this is telling us is that what Koinonia Fellowship in Acts is telling us is that if we want to pursue gospel community together, it will cost us. It will cost us. In our culture, when we search for community or a group of friends, what usually drives how we select that? What usually becomes the core question of what community we decide to join? It boils down to one question. Does this community benefit me? Does this community benefit me? We ask these questions, does this group of people make me feel welcomed and treat me well? Or can I get anything out of this community physically, emotionally, even spiritually? Will, will this community cost me my time or resources? And will the, gain, will the gains outweigh the cost? Does this group make me feel awkward or uncomfortable? Or will this group ever tell me what to do or what not to do? And to be honest, deep inside each one of us, even myself, we don't want community to cost us. We don't, want to, we, don't, we don't want it to be inconvenient or difficult. And we have, because we have been so accustomed to tailor-making our wants and our needs that we'd rather have a community that serves us or that operates more like an Amazon Prime subscription where you know the upfront costs and the benefits are immediate. And as I've led small groups before and I've helped many people find small groups, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this exact phrase told to me or this question asked to me. Can you find me a community or a small group that works for me? 
It needs to be the right date, the right time, the right kind of leader, the right people, the right study, the right group dynamics, and maybe then I'll consider joining the group. You know, now to an, ex- to an extent, I understand. Life is busy. We have different needs and different things happen. That's why here at South Loop, we have 15 different small groups with different leaders and different um, neighborhoods and times. And so we definitely want to do our best to make sure that a small group fits your time and schedule. But... As we see in verse 45, gospel community, koinonia fellowship, only happens when you give, when you give something in return. For it truly to look like an early church, our small groups must have people who are willing to to give of their time, to give of their resources, to give up their comforts of me for the comforts and joys of others. Instead of looking at the small group sign-up sheet or when you fill out the form and saying, what can I get out of this? Can, Can I challenge you, church? Instead, can you ask, what can I give? What can I give to my small group community? Because in that posture, that posture makes disciples. The other posture, when you say, what can I gain? That just makes consumers. You know, sadly, in in a few months, we'll be uh, seeing some birds flying down south. You know, winter comes, sadly, soon enough. Uh, As September, it's September now, winter. We don't know when it's going to come, but it's going to come soon. But when you see those birds flying down south, what formation do they usually fly in? It's a V, a flying V. And the reason these birds, or especially geese, they fly in a V, is that in this formation, when the bird in front of the other bird is flapping its wings, it helps each bird fly at 71% greater ability to get to their distance further. So 71% greater flying range is given when these birds kind of give an uplift for the other bird behind it. These birds, when they're flying in a V, they're working together. When the head goose gets tired, because the head goose has no uplift, it actually goes to the back when it gets tired, and another goose takes the lead. When they're dragging geese in the back, they actually do this, they would honk for the birds up front so that they would be encouraged to keep on going. Make sure you don't stop. And then when a goose gets sick or wounded and when they fly down, two other geese fall out of formation and follow, those, follow that goose so that that goose can get back into the formation or so that the goose would, would just inevitably die. Geese are extremely intelligent birds. And they show us in their flying V formation that in order for an entire flock to make it south during the winter, that they have to do it together. And they have to sacrificially give to one another. In the same way, in order for us to stay on mission, to know God and make him known, we must also stay in a flying V formation. We have to be sacrificially giving towards one another that we have to be people who care more about the we than the me, who sacrifice for one another, who encourage one another, and who even fall out of formation to help those who are struggling or in need. We need to be passionately pursuing gospel community together. Now, most small group sermons may end right here, studying the word of God and pursuing gospel community. Great things, important things. But in Acts here, we actually see one more thing here. They do one more thing, and it's extremely important. Let's go to verse 46, and let's finish up. And it says, 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. You know, in verse 46, you don't see it in your English translations, but in the Greek, remember that word devoted in verse 42? That word devoted is actually used again in verse 46. And the HCSB, it translates it better, and you can see it behind me. It actually is better translated, in my opinion. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with the joyful and humble attitude. So the early church devoted themselves to one more thing, which leads me to my third and final way small groups are to make disciples. Our small groups are reaching the lost together. You know, when Luke talks about the early believers meeting at the temple together, it's not exactly the same as us gathering on a Sunday gathering. When they're going to the temple courts, he's referring to something else. And if you see behind me, there is this, the, the image of the temple, and inside there's this temple where they have worship and teaching. But on the outside, there's the courts. And if you go back to the gospel accounts, you see this is where Jesus actually overturned the tables of the money changers. So there was a market in these public courts. There's people buying and selling. This is also where Jesus would heal the sick. And so you know that there are sick and there are poor who are gathered there because a lot of people walk throughout that land. And it's very common within the Jewish custom to be a part of the temple courts. And not only that, that was the same area where Jesus would teach large crowds in. So likewise, the apostles and the early church would make it a habit of going into the public sphere to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, of who he was, and to also love on the people. And in Acts verse, in chapter 3 and, and 5, we see the disciples actually doing this. They are loving people, and they are showing people, and they are inviting people into this gospel community. Let us tell you about this Jesus who saved our lives and who allows us to be knit together as one biblical community. Because as we see in verse 47, they would not only gain favor with the Christians, but they would gain favor with all people. Those people who had no idea of why these people were gathering together in a community. They had favor with them as they would frequently, day after day, go to the public court, public temple courts. And not only that, and the final verse that we have here in verse 47, the ultimate mission is fulfilled and it continues to be fulfilled. We see in verse 47, and the Lord, not the disciples, not the new Christians, not the church, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The true mark of a devoted Kononia fellowship, of a gospel community, was taking the good news of the gospel outward in word and deed to the lost. Church, where are our temple courts? Where are our temple courts? Aren't they in our offices and our workplaces? Aren't they in our schools, our classrooms, or our parks? Aren't they in our gyms and our neighborhood blocks and in our city? You know, a couple of months ago, I ran across an article that was titled, Evangelism is Not a Solo Sport. In this article, it mentions how often we in the church, when we view evangelism, as we kind of see it as a solo sport, kind of like golf or bowling, where it's just by yourself. So if you aren't good at evangelism, you just don't do it. Or if it makes it uncomfortable, you just don't do it. And to be honest, most of us in the church, that's kind of where we lean to. It's just too uncomfortable. Oh, I'm not good at it, so I don't do it. 
But the writer in this blog, he argues that evangelism is not just about personality or about gifting. It's about partnership. It's about fellowship. He writes this, and I quote, in a, cur- in a culture that's increasingly isolated and disconnected, communal evangelism has unprecedented potential to draw in the individual. Partnerships, not personality, produce effectiveness in the long run. And then if you go to the next slide, he gives these three steps of team-based evangelism. For some people, they are good at the initiation part, which intentionally is initiating new relationships within the community. Or perhaps they're good at cultivation, which is to deepen these new relationships in the community. Or they're good at proclamation, which is sharing the gospel and dialoguing with those in the community. When we see these three steps and we think about our small groups, about our church, there are many of us who have giftings in different areas. Some of us are really good at meeting new people out on the streets or in your workplaces. Some of you are really good at making deep relationships. Or others of you are good at hospitality or serving those who are in need or in hurting. And then there are some of you, maybe the few of you, who are amazing at proclaiming the gospel and sharing it. When we think of a small group community, it It can't be just about Bible study and about gospel fellowship. It has to be also about reaching the lost in our city and for God's glory and for God's kingdom. And if you are faithful in doing it, Acts is not just just an idealistic community. Acts is possible today. I believe if you are faithful in evangelism that God will bring a harvest, that God will bring people to know him and be saved for his glory. But I know what some of you are thinking about. This Acts community, this is great, Noah. I, I, I really think it's awesome. Are those fancy charts and these visions, it's, it's awesome. I, I wish I had this community too, Noah. But I know that some of you are asking this question. Do you honestly believe, Noah, that this type of community can still exist today? Doesn't it seem too idealistic for you? You know, you may say, I've been in groups in the past, and I've even led them, and it's nothing like this. I've been burned in the past. I've felt stagnant. People don't come. Members just don't care. I felt discouraged, or people have moved away, and it's just so inconsistent. Noah, why should I commit to a small group like this if it might not even work? First of all, if that's one of you here today, can I, can I just say I'm sorry that small group has been hard. Because when you bring 8 to 12 people with various baggage and, and life experiences and just sin, it's messy. Small groups are messy. And then for those who have not joined a small group, I also don't want to sugarcoat it for you. When you bring people together from all different lives, from different struggles and different sins and different desires, it gets messy. It gets hard. And so then... Why? Why should you commit to a small group community, even when it's hard and even if it might not work? Because Jesus committed to us, even when we did not commit to him. It's because Jesus committed to us, even when we did not commit to him. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came down to earth to live and to die for people who were uncommitted to him. Because of sin in each one of our hearts, we were separated from the true fellowship of the Father, Son, and Spirit. We deserve death. We deserve complete separation. 
But Jesus, in his love and for his glory, he took our sins and he died on that cross. So by his blood, our sins are forgiven and washed clean. And by his resurrection power, we can live with new life and join, and join in his fellowship that he has privileged us to be in through the power of his spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, we are united in him. And it's because the spirit in us, we can have true koinonia fellowship. It is only by the Spirit. It is the Spirit that turns our heart away from selfish agendas and helps us to study the Word of God together. It is the Spirit that turns away our selfish, consumeristic ideas of community that turns us to pursue sacrificial gospel community. It is the Spirit that turns away all the fear and the timidity that we have of sharing our faith to be a community of boldness that reach the lost together. Church, we can commit to a small group on mission because Jesus Christ has committed to us and has given us the spirit who will always be with us. Not with me, not with you, but with us. So my charge to you, or my application, if you want to say it, is don't just join a small group this season. Devote yourself to one another in a small group community. Devote yourself to one this season. And as I mentioned before, there are 15 small groups here at South Loop with amazing leaders who want to be making disciples in this city to do these ways, and they're open for you all. For some of you, maybe you need to pray, reflect, and consider what it means to be devoted to a small group. But for others, I think most of you, to be honest, you already know the answer. The answer is you need to devote yourself to a small group community. Stop making excuses. The reality of work, of life, of family, they will always be there. And if not, they'll get busier later on. But you have to make devoting yourself to a small group community a priority. Don't let your needs drive you to a community. Let the gospel of Jesus Christ drive you to that community. Church, let me just close with this. You know, Francis Chan is a well-known pastor, writer of Crazy Love. He he gave this uh, example of small group discipleship. And he used the example um, in history. You know, in history, there have been two examples of churches suffering under uh, persecution of a very strong communist regime. The communist revolutions in China and in Russia. Because in communist ideology, religion should be completely obliterated. So in those two countries during that time, their goal was to kill the church. So in Russia, what, did they, what they did to kill Christianity was to actually take away all the gigantic cathedrals, all the pastors and priests and teachers, and all the programs of the church. So when these buildings and teach, teachers were gone, the Christian community, because they relied so heavily on the building and the teachers and the programs, they had no idea what to do. They had no idea how to grow. They had no idea how to disciple on their own. So over time, Christianity slowly faded away. On the other hand, in China, the communist revolution under Mao did the same exact thing as Russia did. To kill the church, they took away all their buildings. They took away all their pastors and teachers and programs. And even during that time, they kicked out or killed many missionaries who were in China at that time. But the church didn't die in China. Instead, it grew. It flourished. Because in China, the church wasn't dependent on a building or a pastor or a program. Instead, 
in the underground movement of churches of small groups, say I say, and 8 to 12 people, they were discipling and training believers, the everyday Christian, how to study the word together, how to be in a gospel community together, how to share their faith with those who are not yet believers. And the church in that time in China was 2 million. And in a few decades later, it has grown to over 80 million Christians in China. And even today, many have heard of the church growing in China. In a few decades from now, they will be sending more global workers than we are as in the U.S. The church is just growing. Church, who are we going to be? Are we going to be a church that's just dependent on a building and programs or professional teachers? Or are we going to be a church dependent and devoted to discipling one another in small group communities throughout South Loop, throughout Bridgeport, throughout the city of Chicago? I pray, I hope that we will be the latter. Because church, when the mission is great, it requires us all to do it together. Amen? Let me pray. God, we want to thank you for your word this morning and this example of what a gospel community looks like. God, I just want to pray that you just forgive us for not taking, or not taking it seriously, God, for not realizing what it means to be in a true, intimate fellowship with one another, God. And I pray, God, as we, as many people are in different steps and are trying to figure out, should I be in a small group or, or how should I devote myself to one and, and all these questions, God. God, I pray that in the power of your spirit that you may help each one of us be devoted to one another. Because, God, you were devoted to us. You committed yourself to us broken people so that we, as your church, can commit ourselves to other broken people in this community. And so, God, I pray that our small groups this season may flourish, may grow, the disciples may be made, and that the lost may be reached. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.